0: Welcome to Marvin Methodist Church's Sanctuary Service. My name is Doug Baker, and I'm the lead pastor. Today, we continue our current sermon series, Margin, creating space to breathe, relate, and give. It's also Commitment Sunday here at Marvin. Thank you for your generosity that provides for the Lord's work. Let's join in as the message is underway. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ, and for your generosity in sharing with them and everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I invite you to be seated. Wow, what a great choir today, and that's only half of who will be here at five o'clock this afternoon. Really wanna fill this sanctuary today. We're celebrating 175 years. We want the uh, community to join us in the celebration. So glad that there will be those who will be singing with us today. Hope you'll come as well, especially in two weeks, as Bishop Scott Jones, Jeff Olive will be here in core worship to celebrate 175. We need to get your reservations for that wonderful supper. We're gonna have some great stories to tell, things to celebrate that God has done in our midst. So glad you're here today. Will you now pray with me? Lord God, in the midst of this time, as we listen now for Your Word, come, Holy Spirit. Come, fill our hearts. Come, fill this preacher's heart and his voice. Help us to open our hearts and minds to be attentive to Your truth. Lord, do a good work in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're concluding our sermon series on Margin today and this has been our stewardship series for the month of October. So grateful for Jerry Giles who covered for me last week. His family was in San Antonio and uh, grateful for that opportunity. I'll mention that here in just a moment in my message. But I want to r- report to you that uh, 287 households have now committed to next year's operating budget through our campaign. That's $2.9 million. We are on a pace here to exceed last year year we're excited about that and I just want to let you know that you're a very important part of this process Uh, we still have about a hundred families that uh, last year made a commitment they're still engaged in the church they're still giving to the church there's no reason to believe that they're not going to give those commitments to us this year so want to encourage you if you're one of those individuals to do that because with those numbers coming in projected it really gave our finance committee a real boost of encouragement uh, as we met this past Tuesday to take a first preliminary look at the budget. And so your input was to say, we're with this program, we're with the strategic mission of the church, and so that brings us energy. So let's uh, continue to. Let me just say thank you for those who've already turned in your commitment. I want to say thank you to those who are going to be turning in your commitments. It really is going to bring you an exciting year for 2024. God is working amongst us, and what a blessing it was just to know, because the way we track this also, I just want to say, we know how many… Pledges are increasing, decreasing, and how many are staying the same? But we have a hundred of those households that are increasing their giving for the next year, which shows great growth. Because the inflation, y'all, it's uh, it's all around us, right? We ex- we know it's so we're tightening up in areas. But you believe in this church, so thank you for that. Love you and appreciate you so much for that. Most importantly, God is working. We are growing in faith and I'm excited about uh, 2024. I wanna check in with you on Margins. If you've got your bulletin, you can turn it over on the back. I just wanna remind you about the things we've been talking about. And if you wanna score yourself and say, hey, I still need to do this, but I just wanna report in on how I've done with the margin Stewardship Campaign. It's been a blessing in my life. I want to report in the first week we talked about Sabbath rest. We talked about the importance of taking time to enjoy and be restored each week with the day of rest, and I've got about uh, 50% on that. So I, two out of four weeks, I've done a good job. The, the week last week with the family, being out in San Antonio not preaching, helped with that, but there was a, another earlier Saturday in the week where I actually did some restorative things wrote in my journal, uh, spent some time walking Rose Rudman. I uh, went to go visit some friends and had a good visit with them and, and ate a good breakfast out and just enjoyed the day of rest. So if you haven't released really, or you're still working on margin in your schedule, I want to encourage you to do that. It can be life-changing. I continue to grow in that area. Also, just want to remind you we had a A week where we talked about one of the challenges to the congregation was to skip a meal and then to give that money away that you would have spent on that meal and I want to just share with you Gene and I were doing a wedding uh, in Houston for the Rippey family last night so we were coming back uh, to Tyler late but we were we stopped to get a dinner and we were having a person serve us and I was a little impatient I I usually very courteous with those who are serving us. we were waiting a long time to get seated and or get her to come check on us and and I kind of was a little snippy in my first remarks, out of the ordinary for me. Get this, her name was Patience. <laughs> I apologize to Patience. That was truly a God thing. And I said, I am so sorry. I don't mean to be, we're just trying to, we got a three-hour drive. I got to preach in the morning. And so, anyway, but what the beautiful thing is, where I'm going with this story is, is she started sharing her story with us. And, um, and she started sharing that at age 15, she's one of five children, and at age 15, if you can imagine this, the parents just finally said, we're done. We're not going to do parenting anymore. Y'all are on your own. Can you imagine a 15-year-old young lady having the parents just abandon you? And uh, so her last several years have been very traumatic, in and out of lots of homes, staying with friends, and, you know, it's just been amazing. But she's now going to college. So remember that $20 I saved? Well, she, a patients got that $20 tip last night, cash bill right out. That's why you want to have some margin ready to go. So that's how I did my, my, uh, one of those challenges, also relating. You know, taking a Sunday off, Pat Day here, a mentor of mine, taking a Sunday off during Stewardship Month is not something I've ever done before, but we had a family reunion, and Jerry did a great job, and I had a great time. I got to swim with a three and a four and a five-year-old, and uh, it was an amazing, refreshing, restorative time. And so, as far as making margin for my relationships in my life, how are you doing in that? You know, I was filled up last week and uh, blessed yesterday to be with friends to perform a wedding for Dr. Pat's granddaughter, Dr. Pat Thomas. It really filled my heart to do that for that family. Also, writing thank you letters. How many of you have been writing thank you letters? You know, you had an opportunity to take notes home and to write thank you cards, or I'm thinking of you card, or I appreciate you card. Well, I've sent 287 thank you letters to the congregation for your stewardship. <clears throat> if you make a commitment, I send you a card, and, uh, and I write a handwritten note on every single one of those. And let me tell you, there's been days when my hands been tired. I'll be honest. You know, I've, sometimes I'll sit down and do 100 at a time, but I'm not gonna neglect writing a personal note to thank you people for, uh, for your service, for the ways you're blessed in my life, for the hugs at the door, whatever it is. I've written those and I'm gonna continue to write some more because I know that there'll be more to write. Um, but lastly, I wanted to talk about giving. You know, having margin in your giving. You know, Gene and I have, uh, we started out uh, service in the church, going to seminary right out of college. We've always lived beneath our means. We've always, our lifestyle has been under what our income was. As our income has gone up through the years, we have continued to live pretty modest lifestyle. And that's the way we've kept margin in our lives to be generous in our ways that we serve God. So. That's where I am on mine. I want you to just think about all the different ways we've talked about margin in our lives, our schedules, our relationships, our pocketbook. How do we have margin? And we're gonna kind of wrap this campaign up pretty soon, Uh, and I'm excited next Sunday, All Saints Sunday, as we'll celebrate the saints who have gone before us. Today, we're gonna talk about the indescribable gift. We've been singing about it. We've been singing it throughout this morning, And I'm gonna talk about what that indescribable gift is in just a moment. But I wanna say something about a book by Gary Chapman called The Five Love Languages, written in 1992. Many of you have probably read it. New York Times bestseller, 20 million copies sold. After 20 years of doing marriage counseling, Dr. Gary Chapman wrote uh, this book about the five identified ways that people like to give and receive love. He talks about affirmation, quality time, receiving and giving of gifts, acts of service done for a person, and also physical touch. The reason I bring this up is I wanna talk about giving today. We are made in God's image, and I believe God identifies with all five of those, but I just wanna talk about giving today as we kinda wrap up our stewardship time and to celebrate the way in which God has given to us and how we have responded in giving to others and to God through the church. But let's talk about God's giving to us. I, I just Googled this week, biblical examples of God giving. And something popped up by a gentleman by the name of Brent Smith, who is a pastor of Christ Central Church, and he blogged this, and he gave 66 examples of God's giving to us. Now, the number 66, does that ring a bell for any of you in this room? Why 66? 66 books in the Bible, and that's what this pastor did. He went through every book of the Bible that we have and identified a way in which God has given to us, and he gave the reference for that. I think this is beautiful. Again, Brent Smith, if you want to Google this, biblical examples of God's giving, 66 examples of God's generosity. Buckle your seatbelts, here we go. We're gonna hear about a God who gives. God gives life in Genesis. God gives salvation to captives in Exodus. God gives feasts for celebration in Leviticus. God gives blessings in Numbers. God gives the law in Deuteronomy. God gives the promised land in Joshua. God gives strength in the book of Judges. God gives protection to the widow and to the foreigner in the book of Ruth. God gives wisdom and riches in Second Chronicles. God gives influence to the powerless in the book of Esther. God gives restoration to the enslaved in the book of Job. God gives power to the faint in the book of Isaiah. God gives life to dry bones in the book of Ezekiel. God gives back years stolen by catastrophes in the book of Joel. God gives justice in Amos. God gives opportunities to repent to Jonah. God gives joy beyond understanding to Habakkuk. God gives protection in Zechariah. God gives us Jesus in Matthew. God gives us food for the hungry in Mark. He gives us the touch for the untouchable in in Luke's gospel, and He gives the Holy Spirit in the Gospel of John. God gives community in the book of Acts. God gives us grace in Romans. God gives us spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians. God gives us new life and new identity in 2 Corinthians. God gives us freedom. God gives us unity. God gives us peace beyond understanding. God gives us power for those who believe in Him. God gives everything for us to enjoy. God gives us access to His throne room. God gives us an inheritance. God gives us His love. He Gives us joy seeing others grow in Christ. And lastly, in the book of Revelation, God gives us a new heaven and a new earth. And friends, I left some of them out. Is there any doubt in the room that we serve a God who is generous? A God who in every chapter, every, not every chapter, but every book of the Bible is giving something to the need that is at hand. Our God is a generous God, and that is what we celebrate today. And that's what we want to go back to and recall, recount that several weeks ago, in the second week of the series, we talked about the passage of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 16. And it was this idea that Paul was taking up an offering The church in Jerusalem was suffering. The people in the church were being martyred. They were being persecuted. Many had lost their jobs. There was famine in the land, so many were going hungry. And so the Gentile churches were sending an offering of love back to the people of Jerusalem, ground zero, where the whole thing began, where Christ was crucified, buried, and risen again, and where the Holy Spirit was given to the church. That collection was in process, and that's where we are in this context of this second letter to the Corinthians. The, there has been an exchange. Many scholars believe that Paul has already received some offering that came to him while he was in Ephesus to take back to Jerusalem. With that came a list of questions and concerns of the Corinthian church, and that's why in these letters to First and Second Corinthians, we are hearing Paul's response to some very specific problems in the church. But before we get to that, Paul says in our Scripture lesson today, because of your service of giving, because of your service of giving, you are proving, there's that word that was in the Scripture, you are proving your loyalty to Christ. And friends, we live in a very, very interesting times. We live in interesting times, and I want to mention a word that I came across in John Eldridge's book, Resilient, about apostasy, just reminding us of what's happening to some Christians here in America, not so much around the world, because this is not happening in Africa and other places where the church is exploding. But here in America, people are stepping away from faith He reminds us of Matthew 24, signs of the end times, persecution, hatred by the nations. Jesus says, many will turn from faith and will betray and hate one another, but we are to stand firm. We are not to fall away from faith. As things may get harder in our culture, and the culture may seem out of step or against the Christian church, which is This has been a historical thing that's happened around the world, and especially in the history of Christianity. We are not to fade away. We are not to give up. We are to stand firm. We are to believe, and we are to have faith. So what is the definition of apostasy? Apostasy can be the slow drifting away from the church, are far embracing more of a culture that is around us than of following Jesus Christ and His ways. It can be quitting on church, and many are quitting church today, saying that it no longer is relevant in their lives. They've gotten out of their practice, or they have experienced some kind of church hurt, and so they have quit on the church. There is a good book that's out now called The Great Dechurching, by Jim Davis and Michael Graham, if you'd like to read more about that. But the interesting thing I wanna say about the great de-churching that's happening is that people who have been hurt and people who have drifted away will come back if people will simply engage them in real conversation, in genuine relationship, and invite them back into their circle of friends and into their worshiping community, and talk freely about faith issues and how God has been working in their life. That is the key. We must not be quiet. We must talk of our faith. We must talk about God's grace, and we must continue to grow into maturity of faith. I'm grateful to Dr. Mark Donaldson for his commitment in our church of establishing a discipleship pathway. Many churches do not have a discipleship pathway. We have an identified pathway that says you can come in as an inquirer. You can come to a place where you are growing in Christ. But as you grow in Christ, we want to move you to close to Christ. Sometimes you'll have to work through some personal challenges, some emotional hurts to get closer to Christ. But God will help you through that process if you'll push through that wall. And then we want you to be Christ-centered. That is the goal of the Christian life. Now, I remind you, Of this letter and their consequences of what was happening in the Corinthian church. Friends, it was not the most healthy of churches, but Paul is going to address them at the end of this letter and thank them for their generosity. Let me just remind you, There was division and infighting in the church, some saying they were following different leaders in the church, putting a different leader above another one. There was immorality in the church. Some there in Corinth were having difficulty uh, getting out of paganism. They were still going to the temple of Aphrodite and engaging in sex acts there with the prostitutes, and that was not appropriate for the church many were prideful. They were saying that their spiritual gift was more important than somebody else's spiritual gift in the church. And then there were those who were selfish. They would go early to the love feast and the celebration of communion, and when the poor would get off work and finally get there, all the food would have been eaten. Paul says these are very real challenges. Every church has its challenges but there is proof of transformation. And that proof of transformation was that they were concerned about their Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ who had become Jewish believers, and they were giving of their resources. They were stepping out of their selfishness to bless others in Jesus' names. And he was saying, your loyalty to Christ is showing. Your giving is one sign that you are a healthy, vibrant church. Friends, that's why we have a stewardship campaign every year. Some people don't want to do stewardship campaigns. Some pastors are afraid to do stewardship campaigns. Some churches have just abandoned the whole thing and just believe that the money's going to come in. But I tell you why Marvin is committed every year to doing this, because for us, it is like getting a physical checkup. It's like checking in with our… where we are. Are we growing like we should be? Are we growing in our giving? Are we growing in our loving for others? they'll be growing, most importantly, in our discipleship. Now, I made a joke about two months ago. I told you I had an addiction to peanut M&M's. You remember that? If you are here, that was online, may remember that as well. And then, and then like the next week, someone gave me a huge tub of peanut M&M's. And I have to tell you, for Halloween, someone gave me some M&M's again this morning. before They, they were under the pulpit before the 8.30 service. But I have to tell you, After saying all that, how much I'm addicted to peanut M&M's, I went and had my annual physical. And I'm just going to be very genuine and honest with you here. My life had gotten so out of whack with working hard and trying to prop myself up with caffeine of chocolate and drinking Diet Cokes that when I went and got my blood drawn for my physical, my A1C was up, my glucose was up, and the doctor came back with this uh, pre-diabetic, Okay? That got my attention. That woke me up. People have been asking me, you're losing weight? You're looking good. Yes, I'm losing weight because I have stopped the snacking on the sugar for the most part, and I've stopped drinking Diet Cokes. I'm drinking unsweet tea and water. And that's changing my life. It's making me more healthy. And so I'm just saying to you, it took that kind of a wake-up call because I don't want to be diabetic. I don't want to deal with that. So now my blood is back in its place. But all that's to say is we have to make decisions. We have to check in with ourselves. The stewardship campaign, friends, is a way to say, how am I doing in my finances? How am I doing in my my prioritizing? Am I putting the kingdom of God where it needs to be, or am I living more for myself? Let's talk also about this connection of self-discipline. Obedience is the word that he uses. Obedience that accompanies your confession. As a follower of Jesus Christ, your giving should be different than anybody else's in the world. Your giving priorities should be different than somebody who is not a believer who doesn't go to church at all. And friends, I tell you, there's two examples I want to lift up to you. There were a group of women recorded in Luke 8 uh, where they had begun to follow Jesus. Some had been delivered from demon possession. Other women were coming and believing in Christ, and some were related to Christ. Either way it was, these women had no jobs that we know of, no power, no status in the community. But it says in Luke 8:3, Jesus was being supported and the disciples by the, these women and their means. Look it up. Their lives had been changed and they redirected their resources because they had found the one they knew to be the Lord. I want to talk also about one famous Tax collector named Zacchaeus in Luke 19 is, is his story. He was wealthy. He was wealthy, and he was wealthy because as he gathered taxes from his Jewish brothers and sisters, he would keep some for himself and turn the rest into Rome, which was what you were allowed to do. He was lining his pockets at the expense of those who were his his, uh, brothers and sisters, and he was converted to Jesus Christ, had a meal with Christ, and in that moment, in his own home, he makes a confession to the Lord, and he says, if I have wronged anyone, I will give back four times what I have taken, and I will give half of my possessions to the poor. All this is to say, friends, is that obedience and self-sacrifice follows a confession in Christ. As we make a confession, as our hearts are truly changed by Jesus, we become more generous. It's just how God begins to shape and to mold us. So, thank you for practicing generosity in this church. I remind you that we have a mission statement, and our mission statement is to to grow disciples who share the love and hope of Christ. And we share the love and hope of Christ not only through our witness and our missions and our our witness of our mouths as we share Christ, but we share Christ also through the resources that we give. Through your service, Paul says, you are also being generous. As a reading I've been doing lately, and I know many of you have been reading along as well, uh, I wanna remind you that we live in a world of consumerism. But it was Jesus who said these words recorded in Acts 20, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Can you say that with me? It is more blessed to give than to receive. Let me tell you, the world, especially in America, has a different message for us. In a documentary called The Century of Self, back in 2002, Adam Curtis quotes a 1927 journalist. Hear these words. The journalist states, a change has come over our democracy. It is called consumptionism. The American citizen's first importance to his country is no longer that of being a citizen, but that of being a consumer." 1927? Are you kidding me? Where are we now hundred years later? We are seeing it, friends. This guy was prophetic. He was seeing us moving out of the the farmland where people were taking care and sharing and helping one another to the industrialization and and, uh, people needing stuff and marketers coming on board and telling us that we needed to to, to buy and to buy and to buy. And friends, we have heard politicians of our country say to us, you need to get out and spend money for the economy. Here's, Here's a stimulation check because the economy needs you. Get out and consume, consume, right? We know that this is, a, this is a part of our DNA. And I want to just tell you, friends, it goes countercultural to the message of Jesus Christ. It is more blessed to give than to consume or to, to receive. Now, I've heard this spoken in many different ways, and I'll share it with you. We spend money that we don't have, therefore getting more consumer debt, on things we don't need, thanks to our marketing friends, to impress friends that really don't care. Again, we're spending money that we don't have on things we don't need to impress friends who really don't care. But friends, think about it. It's so much of what we do in today's world. So let's give our time, our money, our resources away to help others. our broadcast this morning. I'd like to personally invite you to join us for Sunday morning worship services at 8.30, 11 on our campus in downtown Tyler, Texas. I hope you'll visit our website to learn more about our church and ways that you can partner with us to make a difference for God's kingdom here in Tyler and around the world. Contributions can be made to the church through our QR code now seen on the screen or by sending a check to the church. May God bless you and may you have a great day.